the hard shoulder. All new Stoke. With the all new Nissan Juke. The coupe crossover by Nissan. Nissan. Innovation that excites. Yes, this is the Hard Shoulder. Kieran Cudahy with you through until seven o'clock now, it being a Tuesday. It's time for the Hard Shoulder Health Check. Today, we're going to address quite a sensitive issue, that of suicide amongst teenagers. Joining me is Enda Murphy, psychotherapist and director of CME.ie. Enda, I'm conscious that, you know, people listening to this who who have been affected, Mm. uh, younger people listening to this, maybe parents who are worried about their Mm. their teenage son or daughter. So, look, it it is a sensitive issue. Is there a particular problem in Ireland when it comes to suicide and young people specifically? Oh, absolutely. The if you if you understand the nature of suicide is that when we're growing, our emotional brain grows from the ages of around 13 to 18 years of age. And our logical brain starts getting a rain on it between 18 to 25. And as any parent will tell you, we start growing up at around 25 to 30. That's when we reach our wise mind. But what happens with the actual brain is if we have grown up where we have a lot of self-criticism, we are affected by bullying, we have drugs or alcohol or anything like that these mood cables that are actually growing, because at the end of the day, an emotion is purely an electrical signal going from one side of the brain to the other. And how it does that is that it it fires across on electrical cables. Now, if you've kind of grown up in certain environments, you know, like bullying, things like that, you develop structural vulnerabilities in those cables. And when you come out of a highly structured world that is kind of school and things like that, and you end up going out into the 18 to 23 age group, those cables start to unravel and you can't cope with what's going on around you. And that then starts the slide, the chain reaction down at suicide. And that's why the the majority of suicides are in the 18 to 23 age group, especially amongst males. OK, uh, do you have figures? What, what are we looking at in Ireland? Uh, well, as you know, when I was doing the brief, you know, as we're talking here, four or five people in Ireland are considering taking their own lives. And by the end of this weekend, two of them will have succeeded in doing it. So we're losing a stark way of putting it. Yeah, unfortunately, that's the way it is. All right. And those are the people I thought when people like me are coming on air, they're the ones we want to actually reach out to, you know. So for those people listening, you mentioned about that, that the cabling, not being able to cope at that age group with with some of the thought process. Like, what are those thought processes? What is the thinking that's going on? I've I've spoken to a number of people who have had to sur- who have survived suicide attempts, all right, and who have actually kind of lived through it. And I've always asked them the first question. I says, "Was the aim to actually take away your own take away your life, or was the aim you just wanted the pain to go away?" And in each case, I'm always told I wanted the pain to go away, and they saw suicide as being the only way left to make that pain go away. And that is where you end up. So why do we end up going from, you know, when we're born, we're not thinking of this. And how do we end up at 18 to 23? We end up at this. Mm. So what happens is, is that 
What causes us to feel what we feel is not what happens to us. It's what we say to ourselves. And that goes on in our emotional mind that we've looked at before. And there's a type of anxiety that everybody has. And we call it ego anxiety. And it's how you rate yourself. It's how you measure yourself. Now, if I rate myself on my ability to do this or on my ability to do that, and I'm succeeding at that, then I'm okay. But if for some reason I'm not able to succeed at this or say like kind of, the you know, the, the, the kind of the, the kind of the neurological symptoms of depression start setting in. Yeah. And I, it's like wading through treacle. I just can't get there. Then I'm going to start triggering this pathological critic. I'm going to trigger this negative voice in my head of this vague criticism that's going on totally 24 hours a day in my head. And what happens is my emotional skin, over my hand I have skin. And if you scratch me it doesn't hurt. But if you took away all the skin then little things would hurt me a hell of a lot. So my emotional skin is the exact same. When you get to my age, you should have an old oily back that things can rub off you. But especially in teenagers, they haven't developed this emotional skin. So little things are, are little things are hurting them a hell of a lot. And unfortunately, how we react to that yeah. makes it infinitely worse. So but all teenagers, I suppose, are lacking that that strong emotional skin or nearly yeah. nearly yeah. all very few even though those are quite stark numbers very few would find themselves in this situation what what is it what is it that causes teenagers some teenagers to rate themselves negatively or or to to what was the phrase used to trigger that pathological critic the critic well I'm at what's called a cognitive behavioural therapist. So I focus solely on the thinking aspects. So that's what I mm. help people understand. Now, this voice that we have in our brain, it tends to look for dangers around us. So it'll look for negatives and it tends to look for negatives. All right. Like kind of when you get narcissism, it goes the opposite way. It's it's always looking at the positives. All right. But this is the total opposite to narcissism. And it's this voice that's going on the head. Now, imagine a bully, a boss or a colleague or somebody who's constantly on your back, picking you up over every little thing that you do, things that you don't do. And this negative voice goes going on and on and on in your head. And especially, and this is one of the frightening things, if I did a functional MRI scan on somebody who is drinking or using drugs regularly, I would see the neurological cables developing problems, developing vulnerabilities. If I do a functional MRI scan on somebody who's been bullied, I see exactly the same damage occurring. So the effect of the bully from outside, the bully in our head, till eventually we end up in a world where we don't need somebody externally to do it to us, we're able to do it to ourselves. And that is constant. And if you talk to people who were, you know, commit, tried to commit suicide. And I had, you know, I have a colleague who, who was talking to a 13 year old and, you know, and she had taken a massive overdose. And he said, you know, why did you do it? Or like, why didn't you say something to your parents or something? She mm. says, I didn't want to bother them. And when he looked back to what had been going on on social media, she was being bombarded with bullying 24 hours a day. And that had been going on for about three months. Now, to a 13 year old, that is going to drive anybody down into a pit. Yeah. And eventually we find that we're not able to, you know, to to reach out. So we come up with this that, well, you know, you're able to talk about your problems and somebody else is able to talk about the problems. But when I talk about my problems, for some reason, they get worse. Are the things that are actually told to me or I'm told to do, for some reason, I'm not able to do those things. Yeah, if you're just tuning in, uh, Enda Murphy is my guest, the psychotherapist. If you're affected by anything you have been listening to, I should say, you can always ring the Samaritans. The number is 116-123. Enda, what then say that this pathological 
political critic mm. uh, has been triggered uh, and they've gone down this dark path. Explain to me, what is the suicide cocoon? Now, this was a term that was kind of that was drafted by a colleague of mine, Harry Barry. All right. And he described it as the world that eventually you arrive into a world whereby there is absolutely no other way you can think out of it. And then you make the decision. I know what I'll do. I'll end it all. And a decision settles the mind. So the decision, what happens is, is that you enter this world wherever you decide I'm going to do this. And that creates a calmness. And you'll often hear people say that in the weeks that somebody was depressed and in the weeks before they committed, before they did it, that they were actually seemed to be much better. And the reason they were much better was they think that, you know, I've now got my solution. And Harry and I call that the suicide cocoon. It's like a little warm space that we can be, that we have an option and we're not going to let anybody take that away. I'm sure there'll be some parents maybe listening to this worried about their teenage son or daughter and they could be a little bit terrified, you know, because they've just heard you say, look, there's identifiable things about when you can know they're heading down this dark path but then maybe if they're in this good form as well it could be because of this suicide cocoon Well don't think that all teenagers I know (laughs) but if somebody has been very very depressed and then the sudden lift in mood is one of the warning signs that we do actually look at that it's well worth your while pop into the GP GP will be able to spot it fairly much immediately Yeah so talk to us then about what people can do to to help or what parents can do to help because you talk about here about the different reflexes the writing reflex and the listener reflex. Yeah, now the writing reflex is how we normally actually approach things. So if I want you to do something and you're my son and I would tell you, no, I want you to do this and this is how you do it and this is why I want you to do it and this is why it's so important. And it's called the writing reflex. I'm going to tell you what, you know, we don't teach you how to do it. We just tell you what it is we expect to do. Now that's the equivalent of asking a a 13 year old to get into a car, drive to Galway and they've no concept of what a car is all about. So we developmentally expect them to tune into the world I'm in as an adult and this is how you do it. And we call that the writing reflex. I'm going to correct you. And the only thing, the only result you get out of that is you get angry, you feel hopeless, you drive the person even further away from you. So what you have to do is you have to develop it into what's called the listener reflex. And people can Google this. Google motivational interviewing, the writing versus the listener reflex. And you'll see it up up in Wikipedia. And what will happen is, is that if I ask you to do anything, I ask you to go into school, Mm. all right, that's going to create what's called a dilemma for you. So if I don't go into school, there's a a nasty side to that. And if I do go into school, there's a nasty side to it. And the reason kids find it very difficult is that I'm damned if I do and I'm damned if I don't. Now, the idea is you have to go in their door and gently lead them out your door. But you go in their door and what you have to do is you have to understand the world through their eyes. You have to keep your mouth shut. You've got two ears. You've got to listen. You've got to use a lot of, lot of just listening. I say... You know, you're, you've got 168 hours a week. You've got five minutes that you're going to hear what it is you need to hear. But you've got to spend that other 168 with your kids to hear that five. And what eventually happens is, is that you start understanding the world the child is actually in. 
from their perspective. And then I don't stand outside and say, no, I want you to do this. I want you to do that. Mm. But what you do is you gently start sharing the experience with them. And when we feel we're being listened to, when we feel we're being actually understood, we open up. We want to talk more. We feel hopeful. We think, God, you know what? Maybe I can actually do something here. All right. I will often ask yeah. parents, I'll say, listen, you're not good. The best thing you can actually say is, I don't know, but I do know somebody who does. Yeah, it's, it's funny. I, I don't want to sound glib about it, but when you talk about sharing the experience, it almost yeah. sounds like that old saying, you know, the, a problem ha- a problem shared is a problem halved. Halved. And it, not only that, but we have to, like, if I turn around to you, and this is as health professionals, I've been arguing this for years. If you come to me and I says, OK, well, I will help you. Well, what I'm actually suggesting is that you are somewhere that I am not. Now, if you look at the actual thinking dynamic of depression as being I'm a failure, then I've just reinforced how much of a failure you are because you're now somewhere that I'm not. So you have to change your language. You have to lose this idea that you are somewhere that I'm not. Okay, this ego anxiety that everybody has is the precursor that when it gets triggered will drive us all down this road. And there is nothing that any of us is not capable of doing given the right circumstances. It, it strikes me a lot of what you're talking about, about moving from uh, the, 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 the writing reflex, the listener reflex. It's about having a, a good open relationship as well with your teenagers. It, do you know what? There's so many different modalities in psychotherapy and, you know, and they're always arguing about this and about that and about the other. It doesn't matter what modality you're using. 90% of the gain will be through the relationship you have with the person. And I see lots of teenagers. That's what I do. And I've never failed to have one of them actually be able to talk to me because I'm just using very simple listening skills and they're very, very easy to learn. But, you know, like kind of you just got to practice them and you got to understand. Well, look, like I said, if anyone has been affected by anything we're talking about, uh, they can ring the Samaritans 116-123. And fascinating stuff. And thanks a million for coming into studio. Enda Murphy, psychotherapist and director of CME.ie. If you want to listen back to Enda's interview or indeed anything else in the show today, you can go to the Newstalk website, newstalk.com forward slash podcasts, or you can find them on the Newstalk app. We are out of time this evening. Off the ball is up next. I'll be back at four tomorrow. My thanks to the production team. Have a good one. 